Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show, and thank you so much for tuning in here today. It is, of course, Wednesday, March the 11th. Got a good show lined up. I'll be chatting Kamloops Blazers after they fell to the hottest team in the WHL last night, losing in Spokane 3-0. The voice of the Blazers, John Keane, will join me in uh, about 10 minutes or so. I'll also be joined by a Guinness World Record uh, holder for the first female on record to visit every country in the world, Cassie DePeckle. Uh, she is set to give the keynote speech at tonight's IDAYS 2020 event at TRU. So that should make for a, a fun chat here. That'll be coming up at around the 35-minute mark. And then to end things off today, it is time for another edition of That's Whack Wednesday. But to begin to sh today's show, I am joined on the phone by Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time. No problem, Jeff. Yeah, so you're on the road today. You're a pretty busy guy, but uh, thanks so much for taking the time to call in. I still appreciate it. Uh, city council meeting last night. Among the items that were discussed was, uh, well, flying community flags was one of the things on the agenda. And I just wanted to get a quick question and hear about this to start it off. Um, you know, organizers of the Kamloops Walk for Peace, Social Justice, and Environment asked council to consider letting them fly their flag in May. But it sounds like council has no plans to start permitting community groups to have that type of display at City Hall. Just wanted to get a quick rundown of why that is. Why does council not uh, want to start getting into that kind of game? Yeah, so, you know, it, it's a, a matter that's really protected by solicitor-client privilege. But let me say this about it, that uh, the Canadian uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, would allow everyone to display uh, flags, have proclamations, have street banners, that kind of thing. And uh, some of those would meet a community standard and others could be offensive to a community standard. And what uh, we don't want to see is Kamloops spending taxpayers' money in uh, horrendous court challenges related to uh, these kinds of things. So what we've opted to do, uh, we needed another flagpole anyway. We've got the BC flag flying there proudly, and uh, it's working right now. And until this uh, legal landscape sorts itself out, uh, that will be the way it will stay. Okay, makes sense. Is it also a little bit, too, to do with things like, uh, you know, if you allow one community group to do it, you almost have to allow them all to do it, and that could, uh, you know, it almost could create for a never-ending cycle of flags going up and down a pole. I mean, that, that sounds like it could be, um, you know, something that council maybe doesn't want to get involved in necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, one of the other things that was on the uh, council agenda last yeah, or yesterday that uh, kind of drew my attention, and it doesn't sound like this is uh, you know just coming up for the first time yesterday, but uh, dog licensing was uh, something that was discussed. Um, a permanent dog tag with annual renewal fees. I guess what, why is this something that council feels the need to start moving ahead with? Um, you know, what what is the issue? I guess when it comes to dog licensing in Kamloops right now. So, you know, it's a matter of efficiency and cost saving, and it's just more convenient for uh, the public. So uh, our uh, bylaw services manager uh, suggested that instead of getting an annual license for your dog, changing them out every year, we would just uh, have a, a license for the life of that dog, and uh, it would be billed on an annual basis. So uh, a little bit uh, more efficient and uh, uh, certainly uh, a cost saver for the city and for uh, the uh, public. 
Have you heard any concerns from, from dog owners about this kind of thing? It sounds like something that, uh, you know, whenever you bring up animals, it feels like in the news, it's something that gets way more attention than, than uh, you know, anything else that gets put out there. When you talk about dogs, it seems to draw everyone's attention. So I'm just curious if there has been any backlash about this kind of conversation at this point. None whatsoever. Oh, okay, that's that's good to hear. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think most, a lot of cities have these sort of dog licensing fees, so it's not something that um, is rare, but it's just something that I feel like a lot of people, you know, like I was saying, when dogs make the news, it tends to, to perk up a lot of ears. Um, the mayor's report yesterday also talked a little bit about, uh, in conjunction with National Volunteer Week, uh, which runs April 19th to 25, the city's hosting the Exemplary Services Awards. Um, so these awards are going to recognize citizens that have dedicated their time and service to the well-being of the community and the people who live here. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about why it's important, you think, to, uh, to recognize volunteers here in our community and, and how, uh, you know, having a, a sort of a conjunction or a, a, a day to celebrate that on April 22nd, why that is important? Yeah, so uh, National Volunteers Week, uh, we do a number of things as a city. We have a volunteer appreciation barbecue, and uh, we have traditionally had a civic celebration where we uh, uh, give out citizenship awards, and, and this is no different than any other year. The Camelops is a great tradition of uh, volunteerism, and, uh, you know, it's it's great to recognize uh, people, whether they have, uh, you know, been involved in uh, sporting activities, uh, in the arts, in service clubs, uh, those kinds of things. So what we are asking for is for uh, members of those uh, organizations to think about their membership and think about people who have uh, put in uh, a lot of uh, service over a long time uh, that has really made a difference in our community. And so uh, we're looking for those nominees and we will make a selection uh, from the nominees and uh, have a celebration for them uh, later in April. Right on, and people, of course, can start uh, nominating individuals now as well. Um, there was also the State of the City address tomorrow night that you're set to deliver on behalf of the... It's, a, it's an event hosted by the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I spoke with them briefly yesterday. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty packed crowd, but there's also an opportunity for people to watch the, the live stream on Facebook as well, from what I understand. Um, you know, can you maybe just give a little sneak peek of what people can expect if they are planning to tune in tomorrow night? Yeah, so uh, it's a sold-out event uh, hosted by the Camels Chamber of Commerce, and, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for uh, me to take stock of the year that was in Kamloops and uh, what uh, I see uh, going forward as the mayor. And uh, certainly we are in uh, very dynamic times right now. I think even since I uh, penned the speech, uh, much has changed in terms of the local landscape and the outlook uh, even here in Kamloops. So, uh, you know, I'll have to do some uh, last-minute uh, uh, editing, but uh, I'm uh, looking forward to the opportunity to uh, speak to the business community. And uh, as you point out, that is uh, a live-streamed event, and it will uh, may be maintained on the Chamber's website as uh, last year's one was as well. And, uh, you know, just uh, since you're talking about, you know, changes that seem to be happening out on the go here, um, you know, I haven't asked you anything about uh, coronavirus yet. Are we going to hear anything about COVID-19 in your speech tomorrow night? Well, you know, I, I don't think that you could uh, not 
talk about the impact that something as significant as this is going to have on a local economy. Uh, you know, uh, when we rely so heavily as we do on tourism and we start to see uh, a lot of the international sources of tourists drying up, uh, that is going to have an impact on uh, our local economy and uh, we need to be planning and prepared for that and uh, we need to uh, really put uh, extra measures in place in terms of uh, trying to promote the uh, local tourism industry as much as we can to offset uh, what we uh, are predicted to lose from international tourism. Awesome stuff, Ken. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Definitely looking forward to hearing your address tomorrow night. And uh, I know you have a jam-packed day today as well as you're off to Salmon Arms. So drive safe, and uh, we'll catch up again here in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much, Jeff. Awesome. That was Kamloops uh, Mayor Ken Christian. Yeah, thanks so much for doing that, Ken. Really appreciate you calling in while you're on the road here. Um, you know, usually we get you in studio, but, you know, sometimes... You know, you're a busy guy, and we got to get you over the phone, and I appreciate you making that uh, adjustment here for me this Wednesday morning. Um, yeah, definitely, I think it's important. We have that running in our news run here today, too, just talking about the importance of the local tourism industry and promoting people to stay local. Um, you know, you're getting a lot of travel advisories right now about places not to go. Um, there's also concerns when it comes to travel insurance. You know, if there's a, a travel advisory in place and you decide to go on vacation anyway, well, your insurance isn't going to cover that. Um, so it just makes a whole lot of sense, I think, to stay around here in Canada and even more specifically, stay around here in beautiful BC. Check out Kamloops, see the things that it has to offer. Uh, the tourism uh, industry here has a lot of good things going on to uh, make sure that you are entertained and you don't have to go too far away from home to do that. So that's definitely a, a good recommendation here from, from our mayor and, and from... Uh, Bev DeSantis, the uh, GM of Kamloops Tourism. Coming up next, I'm going to be talking about Blazers. Yes, the Blazers fell to the hottest team in the Western Hockey League last night, and the game included the ninth goalie goal in league history scored by LA Kings prospect Lucas Perik. Probably saying that wrong. Here is John Keane with the call from last night organized now it's dropped and Franklin can't believe he dropped the puck in that situation lost the draw no one was even set or lined up and it was dropped gotta be ready I guess worked in now Parikh will he go for the empty netter he lifts it high in the air and Lucas Parikh has scored a goal Tried to bat it out of midair, and he missed it. And it goes for an empty netter, Lucas Parikh here. So when it rains, it pours. Yeah, you heard John there. Never seen that before, a goalie goal. So we'll get his thoughts on that, the game itself, and uh, what the uh, Kamloops Blazers can look forward to coming up this weekend with a home-and-home -home series against Kelowna. That looks like it should be a first-round playoff match, not set in stone, but that is the pace we are on right now. So stay tuned. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Jeff Andrea Show, and I'll be joined by John Keane after this. 
voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, March the 11th. The Kamloops Blazers were in Spokane last night to wrap up a road trip that saw them play, uh, what, four games in six nights as part of a five games in seven days overall stretch. Kamloops fell 3-0 to the Chiefs, a team that has now won 10 games in a row. Let's bring in the voice of the Kamloops Blazers now, John Keane. John, thanks so much for taking the time here. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you feeling here this morning after uh, a lengthy trip there? Well, I mean, uh, you know, for the most part, um, it's it's fine. But when you you travel through the night, both to get to where you're going and travel through the night to get back home, uh, that obviously adds some some challenges to it. You have to be adept at sleeping on a bus, and that's uh, sometimes can be uh, well difficult sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you got today, you got tomorrow, and then back at it again on Friday when the, the Blazers host the Rockets. But we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's start by looking at. Well, I want to focus on the Chiefs right now because this is like the hottest team I don't know if it's in the entire CHL but definitely in the dub winning 10 in a row uh, 3-0 win last night over the Blazers what are you seeing from this team like when you watch that game last night does this look like a team that is just really ready for the playoffs right now well, yeah, I mean, ten in a row and sixteen to seventeen, and uh, you know they're they're playing pretty well. Uh, but I, I just see a team that's getting, you know, when you win ten in a row, you need to be a good team, but you also need to get your fair share of breaks and kind of have that kind of, um, you know, that that kind of a thing where well, this is we're on a roll, and there's not much you know you can do about it. And, and last night. What do they what what do they have happened to them? They 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 shut out the Blazers, who that hasn't happened all season. They uh, get outshot what 37, 36 to twenty one, uh, and were dominated in long stretches, and still found a way to get out of that. And even things like their goalies are scoring goals right now. So it's one of those things where uh, when you're on a roll you know, a lot of things have to be going your way and you have to be getting some bounces and some luck along the ways too. Yeah, I played that that call you made of that goalie goal here uh, just before the break. And, um, you know, as cool as it is to see a, a goalie <laughs> score a goal, it's not always that cool when it happens against the team you're calling games here for. But um, can you just talk a little bit about just seeing that with your own two eyes? I mean, have you seen anything like that before? No, I haven't, not live. And the way it was set up, you know, I saw... I saw the dump in, and I, I saw him handle the puck, and I saw him have a lot of time and space. And I, I, I knew right away this guy's going for it. He was already on top of his crease. Uh, he had that that stick in a you know in a shooting position, and uh, and he was going for it. And he got a lot on it. He got it elevated, which is the key in a goalie goal to get it elevated because you're trying to shoot it up the middle of the ice where usually the players are. So he able was able to launch it up in the air. Uh, Max Martin. Uh, waved at it, tried to knock it out of the air with a high stick. I'm not sure if the puck was too high or he just missed contact with it. Uh, and uh, it was a no-doubter. It really was. It was, uh, you know, it bounced, you know, just inside the Blazer blue line, two bounces, and it was in. And uh, it's a bit surreal to see it live. Um, you know, there's only, that's only been the ninth one in WHL history, nine uh, over all these years. And, um, yeah, to see it go in, it's a, you know, you mentioned it's a bit bittersweet because, you know, it is, you know, you're trying to see the Blazers come back and tie that game, but, uh, but to see it live, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it looks like Max Martin maybe could use a little time at batting practice after that one. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I just want to ask, I, I, we'll get to the Blazers, but I have one more question here just about Spokane, just because this team is on such an incredible run right now. Um, you know, all, all season long, I've been looking at the U.S. division with, the, you know, out of the corner of my eye, watching this run between Portland and Everett, and the, the fight for first place now must be just more important than ever when you're looking at Spokane. I mean, this team probably never really felt like it was a, a super daunting, you know, first-round match. Not one you necessarily wanted, but right now, more than ever, it looks like that Portland Everett race is is so crucial because you do not want to play this Chiefs team right now in round one. Yeah, and that's you know that's really it's not the race for first place; it's a race to avoid Spokane in round one. Uh, and even uh, Spokane coach Manny Beaveros alluded to, you know, the the battle in the division, and he said that he's pretty sure that those two teams, Portland or Everett, do not want to play Spokane in round one. And he's right. The other on the other side of it, it's it's Seattle or slight chance Prince George, but likely Seattle. So, yeah, that's much easier. That's a much easier out uh, than, uh, than that. And Spokane has a knack of kind of hiding in that three-hole and pulling off upsets and, and, and defeating uh, teams ahead of them. They, they did it to Portland last year. Uh, they've beaten Everett under certain circumstances. So, you know, the track record, the history is there to say that uh, Spokane is a, is a team that uh, usually kind of hunkers down and then saves their best for last. All right, well, let's let's get more on to the Blazers side of things here. Of course, that is the team that we care more about. Uh, they were on a six-game win streak prior to last night's contest, and, uh, you know, it's probably a good, nice playoff primer for them to play a team like that that is so hot, and, and now you get the, the real chance because I feel like Kelowna and Kamloops, it's, it's pretty much destined for a collision course right now in round one. They will play a mini home-and-home -home series here on Friday and Saturday. Um, I guess just what do you take out of last night's game in Spokane about playing such a, such a hot team and then taking that into um, you know this matchup against Kelowna, a team that you are likely to face here in round one. You know, and I don't. I don't think you change anything. All, all I think you do is just get rested up. That was five games in seven days. Uh, it was a lot of travel and you know a lot of games packed into days. And uh, and I thought maybe some fatigue started this show. But with that said, you know, the Blazers still out chance, out chance to no shot their opposition, which they are prone to do most nights. Uh, and now we're going to see uh, a Kelowna team that is, for the most part, uh, playing their best hockey. At least they've changed the way they have played. Uh, they're not. They're not out there trying to run around their coaches and telling them to go out and, you know, cause a brawl. I mean, they have, they have renewed life, and I think the best move they've made, you know, they talk about all the acquisitions uh, they've made uh, with uh, the Memorial Cup season, but, you know, the best addition was by subtraction, I think, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, I think they have a legitimate uh, shot to uh, cause the Blazers some some difficulty here, but again, uh, haven't seen them since you know that January 11th brawl. So it's been two months since that happened. So I guess we'll wait and see and, and see uh, how they match up. And you know, the Blazers are, are should be fresh and and hungry. Uh, Kelowna uh, still trying to get their full entire roster together for the playoffs if it'll be available to the playoffs. So. Um, you know, I think if if you're the Blazers, you have to say, hey, uh, we're not going to let any light of day come your way here, and and uh, you know, and try to continue in that dominance of the season series to maybe snuff out any sort of life. If you're Kelowna, you're saying, hey, we need to you know show up and and win one or two of these games to give us some belief you know, that we could win a playoff series here. Right on, John. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, I appreciate it uh, getting off the bus here after a long trip and still taking the time to talk to me today. So thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. And we'll look ahead to the game on Friday here in Kamloops at Sandman.
Okay, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. That's the voice of the Kamloops Blazers, Mr. John Keane. And, of course, he makes a good point about uh, Kelowna playing its best hockey. I mean, I, I always think the coaching change can be a little bit overrated, but uh, it seems to have sparked the Rockets here right now. And like you said, they're playing some of their best hockey of the season, and uh, it's coming at the right time for them. So Kamloops just has to weather that storm and, and maybe put it to them here this weekend. Of course, you can hear that game on Radio NL this Friday starting at 7, pregame at 6.30. So check it out. Stay tuned here for all your blazer action well let's take a quick break we'll we'll uh we'll be back here with a world record holder after this so please stay tuned it's going to be some more good action more jeff andrea show up after this your opinion call or text 250-374-5345 find us on facebook or on twitter at radio nl news this is jeff andreas on radio nl.com Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thanks for joining me here on Radio NL. It is Wednesday, March the 11th. If you didn't hear it in the news, well, the World Health Organization has now declared COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic. We'll have more on that throughout the day here, so keep your radio locked to Radio NL, and we'll keep you updated on the latest when it comes to the World Health Organization declaring COVID-19 a pandemic. Well... On a happier side of things here, my next guest has had a pretty incredible life already, and she is just 30 years old. Cassie DePeckle is an American author, traveler, activist, and speaker. And in 2017, she officially had set Guinness World Records in two categories, fastest time to visit all sovereign countries and fastest time to visit um, all sovereign countries, females. So, I mean, with one, of course, comes the other. Both records, I believe, have since been broken, but uh, she also appeared on the reality TV series Naked and Afraid in 2013. And she is this year's iDays keynote speaker at TRU, and that will be going ahead here tonight. Let me welcome to the show now Cassie Tepeco. Cassie, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me on. Really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's just start by asking you this question. 196 countries. You visited 196 countries. I mean, why was this something that you wanted to do? That's an incredible journey. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I've been traveling since age of 18 when I first set off college. Actually, my mom is Canadian. She's from Toronto. So the only country I'd ever been to was Canada prior to traveling on my own. Um, and so, yeah, I just I'd been traveling since I was pretty much 18, going to school abroad. And then I just decided, you know, I wanted to see the rest of the world one day. And I said, well, I may as well make it happen now because you never know what what life has in store as you get older, um, you know, the responsibilities, commitments. So I just I decided to do it and put the work into it and make it happen. And, <laughs> Definitely and a dream come true. Yeah, I mean, you it, from what I read as well, you ran out of money just six months into this journey. So how, mm. how were you able to overcome that? What were you able to do to make some money to make sure that your trip didn't end short? Oh, well, at that, at that stage, so I'd done a lot of saving up to ensure that I could pay for the first like leg of it. And then I had to really rely on sponsorship because I had a huge mission of responsible tourism and peace through tourism. Uh, I was partnered with a nonprofit organization. So I kind of utilized that to reach out to companies to sponsor my trip. So I'd have to like come home, but I wasn't allowed to spend more than 14 days in a country for the record attempt. So I'd come back home. I'm from Connecticut originally. And then I'd have to do a lot of networking and reaching out and just essentially cold calling as much businesses as many businesses as possible to try and secure funding to cover the next leg so it was a very you know spur of the moment every single day i had to hustle to try and get through you know the next leg to make it to finish to break the record really so 
super, super tough. But yeah, but you did rewarding, it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> rewarding and you did it, and it's really awesome. Now, when you look at visiting that many places, 196 countries, this might be a near impossible question, but did you have a, a particular spot that you, you know, stood out to you as a, a place you would, uh, I don't want to necessarily say your favorite, but maybe where you had the best experience? Uh, I would say, you know, a country where I had a really good experience is Pakistan, and that might sound, sound kind of weird, but I actually spent about a week in Pakistan from Karachi on the beach to the cloud forest Lahore to Islamabad and, you know, planted trees and spoke to like three different sets of university students, and it was just really, really an incredible place. I wouldn't live there personally, and so if the, the question is like, where would you live, it'd probably be, you know, Switzerland, because um, I mean, I love the mountains, uh, so, but I just love the culture of Pakistan and it was just so eye-awakening and especially with all the negative things that people had said about it um it just it wasn't true when people were so kind and I felt really safe there the woman yeah that's great very cool yeah that's not not the country I would have guessed I'm going to be totally honest yeah. with you so <laughs> Um, Very yeah. Now you did film the travels, of course, to create a little documentary, and you also uh, wrote a book here called Expedition 196: A Personal Journey from the First Woman on Record to Travel Every Country in the World. Um, you know, when you were going about sort of documenting this whole thing, I mean, was there any point where it really dawned on you just how unique of an experience you were having here? Yeah, and I every single day. I mean, I was engulfed in the experience, and I was just so grateful that I was able to do this and had the mindset to get through it. I mean, there were days where I'd go like 68 hours without sleep and I wasn't able to really eat. Some countries like didn't serve dinner until like 10 PM, like little tiny country. And it just, it was really, really tough to kind of get through it. But I, every single day I was just in awe of what I was able to experience and like how I was able to make it happen. And also pushing away all the noise of people saying that I shouldn't do it or I can't do it. Um, just really following my my goals and my dreams and putting everything into it and it, yeah it was just awe-inspiring and it was so quick that I do remember um, you know from every single country but like it just seemed to have come and go in a year and a half and that was it but it was like a lifetime experience just in that year and a half it was yeah, amazing, yeah. incredible. For sure. And, you know, at the time, you did have a couple of world records as a result of being the fastest person to travel to every country here. Um, so were you disappointed when, when that record was broken? Um, no, because, you know, records are meant to be broken, whether it's like in sport or, you know, a Guinness World Record or travel. You know, I think it's really great that women are going after the record. I, I seem to have kind of like started something when it comes to like setting records for sea travel, specifically for women to do that. And I think it's just really empowering for women to go out there and see that the world isn't as bad as like people make it out to be. And, you know, if they really want to do something that they can do it. Um, and so it was, you know, really, really incredible. But I, I true, you know, I'm totally not disappointed in that records are meant to be broken. It's just all about inspiring others to keep pushing like the human limits of what we're capable of and inspiring yourself in the process, you know, and what you're capable of. So yeah, yeah, definitely exciting. Yeah, and I also wonder, you know, how much more it can really be be broken. You know, when just talking about mm. how much time you spend in each place, if you if you keep trying to break the record, you're not actually going to get any experiences from traveling to these countries. So uh, there's got to be yeah. a limit here at some point. 
Oh yeah. So, and you know, honestly, that's but my. I had a huge mission where I spoke to like th- thousands of university students and collected water samples to test for microplastics and planted trees. So I had this mission that was more important to me because I thought, you know, if I don't break the record, at least I've gone around the world. I can die happy knowing that I made some sort of small change and inspire the youth in some way. Um, and you know, it's at the end of the day, you, you're right. Like someone could spend one day in each country and do it in like a year or something, but what's the what's the purpose of that like how are you going to enhance the world we live in you know mm-hmm. i think it's a big question that people should think about when they're trying to do that sort of thing you know so yeah i agree and that's kind of a nice segue too when you, you speak about how many uh university students you were able to chat with over the course of your journey and you know that brings us here to what's happening at thompson rivers university here tonight uh you're the keynote speaker here for international days i days 2020 if you will um that's set to go uh, around seven o'clock starting here tonight at the tru grand hall campus activity center um so can you just tell, give a little preview of sort of what you are looking to do here this evening what is the message that you are hoping to deliver here at i days yeah, so I'm I'm super excited to be able to speak. I think it's going to be a great, great group of people. I'm really excited that it's like all about celebrating culture and diversity and also sustainability. Um, so I'm going to be focusing on telling a few stories from my expedition. Everyone loves stories, but I'm also going to be diving into the why, uh, the reasoning as to why I did the expedition and the work that went into it and kind of where I came from. But um, I really just want to encourage the youth um, to, you know, pursue their passions and to not let people stop them, um, you know, common denominator of what I realized about humanity around the world. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I hope it could be a really powerful talk and to inspire others to, you know, push their own limits and inspire themselves when it comes to travel and not be afraid to do so. So hopefully it'll be motivational for them. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Now, um, you know, when talking about this message that you've sort of produced and, and, you know, where it has culminated here over the course of your journey and your trip through through these 196 countries and, uh, you know, you did some tree planting and things like that along the way as well to help offset your carbon footprint and, um, you know, just what, what was the viewpoint, I guess, that you had when it just comes to looking at, um, you know, your overall message here? How, how did you feel when you started this trip versus how you feel now, now that you've done it? I mean, has your mindset changed over the course of this and has it sort of made you, um, has, has it changed the message that you want to deliver? Has it, you know, the first speech you would have given during your trip to some university students, how has that speech changed, I guess, from then until now? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I had never spoken in front of, you know, I did a TEDx, you know, there, that was the very first time I ever spoke in front of anyone in 2014, I think it was. And then that very first speaking engagement in Fiji, I didn't know what I was saying. I knew the message I wanted to get across, but I was pretty much, I, I stood up in front of her and I said, let's just like tr- live in peace, essentially. I'm like, what am I talking about? <laughs> Later on throughout the expedition, the more speaking engagements that I had, um, I, it was more about educating the students on not just sustainable tourism, but responsible tourism. So, you know, if I were to fly somewhere to, to get to their country, it would, you know, my CO2 emissions would equivalent to like needing to plant one tree when I got there. I would plant two. So it's to promote regenerative tourism. I mean, you'd be surprised at the amount of students around the world who didn't even know what sustainability meant. So I think it was just educating them on what it what it meant, especially when it came to traveling and responsible travel. So when they do go to travel on their own, they can kind of keep those things in mind. And so, yeah, instead of just 
initially during my exhibition talking about peace through tourism, I would end up talking about responsible tourism and peace through economics. You know, how, how are, you know, what makes a country peaceful and what can you do to be more peaceful um, and have better relations with neighboring countries and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, definitely the educational aspect was the common denominator, I think, that I've continued to stick with because there's, but you can always learn more when it comes to regenerative tourism and peace through economics. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, you have a very cool story, and I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to hearing it here tonight. I did want to ask you one more question before I let you go, because, uh, yeah, I saw you were on the uh, reality show Naked and Afraid back in 2013. I just wanted to ask oh, what yeah. that experience was like, because that, uh, you know, it's a pretty crazy show. And, um, you know, the fact that you got to be on that, uh, I think, is a pretty neat little thing. But what was what was that experience like, you know, trying to uh, uh, go into the wilderness and, I guess, uh, escape without any clothes on your back? I mean, it was really, up until that point, it was, I said it was the best, worst experience in my life because it taught me a lot about myself. But it also, you know, resulted in a lot of, like, online hate afterwards because of the editing process, you know, what didn't show me in the best light. And that's reality TV for you. But, I mean, overall, you know, if anyone is wondering, because I get this question all the time, like, was it real? Yeah, it was. Like, we didn't get any food. It was really, really, really uh, tough and taxing on your body, like, with the lack of water and food and sleep and everything. So, um, and all the elements, of course. It was definitely... Um, I, I will never forget that experience. It was really tough, but it shaped who I am. And I actually was like laying there, you know, in the dirt one night, freezing cold, pouring rain on my back, like just thinking, what am I doing with my life? And I came up with the idea to, to travel to every country, like to make it happen once I got back. Cause you know, you, you have a lot of thinking when you're in that sort of situation to do a lot of sleepless nights. So, um, yeah, it, it ended up being a, a great thing. I don't even know if I would have traveled every country in the world if it weren't for that experience. So, well, there you go. It led you to bigger yeah. and better things. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on with me here, Cassie. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, hearing more about your story tonight at seven o'clock at the TRU Grand Hall campus activity center. Thank you so much. Great, have me on. Yeah, absolutely. That was Cassie DePeckle. And you can read more about her story as well uh, in her, her book that is entitled uh, Expedition 196, a personal journal from the first woman to on record to travel every country in the world. Definitely uh, something I think that would be worth reading and digging through and, and hearing more about that story. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if you want a chance to pick that up, you can read it. And then, of course, you can hear more from Cassie tonight at iDays 2020, which is being held at TRU Grand Hall. She is the keynote speaker. So definitely select. Um, some cool stories to go through there. Well, let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with That's Whack Wednesday. It is the March 11th edition here on the Jeff Andrea Show, so stay tuned. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. It is Wednesday, March 11th. Yes, it is the middle of the week. Hump day, if you will. It all goes downhill from here, both in the week and in this show itself. It is time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. Let's start with coronavirus. Yes, let's talk Handshakes. Handshakes are out. They are now the most whack way that you could possibly greet someone. Whack. We have seen the ridiculous elbow bump that people are starting to take up, and I personally have done it myself many times now, pretty well jokingly, but I guess even if I do it as a joke, I'm still doing it, which is exactly what some health officials out there are wanting us to do. So what other ways, though, are people choosing to say hi to someone without 
touching them without shaking hands. Well, a recent survey was done to see how people are replacing the usual handshake greeting. And here are some of the results of that new survey, which asked people about their physical greetings that they're now willing to use as an alternative. So, number one. A wave. 62% of people say, yeah, I'm willing to still wave at somebody. That makes a lot of sense. No touching. You can do it from a distance. It's perfect. Uh, a nod is number two. 55% of people saying I would nod at someone. Well, yeah, that's a nice one when you're just basically uh, acknowledging someone when you're passing them on the street. Not necessarily the nicest way to greet someone you've known for a long time or a dear friend. Um, you know, I think you can get a little more personal than that. But nonetheless, a safe way that you can and again, do from a distance. Number three, bumping elbows, as talked about here in the beginning. 25% of people say they're willing to bump elbows. Again, that probably goes down to me, just like what I was saying. I guess I'm willing to do it. I guess I should say, yes, I'm a part of this 25% that is more than willing to go the way of the elbow bump because I've done it many times, many, many times already since, uh, you know, since about last week when I first heard of it being a thing that people were starting to take up. And, uh, yeah, since then, I've probably done it dozens of times. So elbow bumps, I guess those are right up my alley as well. Number four, bowing. 13% of people out there saying they will now bow as a greeting. Well, um, that's probably not something that I would do because I'm not uh, really into, um, you know, that culture necessarily. But I understand why some people would view it as something that uh, is a nice alternative. Again, you don't have to actually touch anyone. Elbow bumping involves a lot more contact than nodding, waving, or bowing at someone. So, again, it makes perfect sense. And number five on the list was tapping feet. I've seen some people do this. Um, not going to start taking up that one. Unless you're a soccer player on the pitch getting ready to get ready for a game. Uh, and you tap feet with your players, I get that. But other than that, I don't really know why people would be tapping feet as an alternative to a handshake. So, um, you know, it's just a ridiculous thing. Or maybe that's not the right word. Maybe the word I should be using is... Yeah, and there you go. It's pretty whack that we have to have these kinds of conversations. Now... It is, of course, a topic that has to be dominating our conversations these days. And it really does feel like it is all I'm talking about. But this story... It's less whack and more so incredible, but I really wanted to highlight it. So a 100-year-old man has recovered and been discharged from hospital this past weekend after 13 days of treatment for COVID-19, becoming the oldest recovering patient to date. He was among the group of more than 80 patients who were discharged from the branch of Huabe's Maternity and Child Health Care Hospital at the Optics Valley in Wuhan, the capital city of Hubei province, and the epicenter, of course, of the outbreak. He's, this gentleman was born in February of 1920, so the elderly man just marked his 100th birthday this past month. He was admitted to the hospital on the 24th due to the coronavirus infection and, uh, you know, he had underlying health problems as well, such as Alzheimer's, hypertension, and heart failure. These are the kinds of things that, of course, make us very fearful of those who might be contracting coronavirus who are of that older age group. So, due to his complicated conditions, medical professionals from the military held multiple consultations and a variety of methods, including antiviral treatment through traditional Chinese medicine and convalescent plasma therapy were adopted in this treatment. So the fact that he was able to recover from the virus through some of this experimental treatment, if you will, um, you know, this is crazy. He's 100 years old. We hear how this is an issue for the elderly, and yet 100-year-old man able to get through it, able to recover. Pretty incredible story. This clip doesn't necessarily fit the bill, 
but I got to play it because it's the name of the segment. Recovering from coronavirus at the age of 100. That, my friends, that is pretty. It's wicked, 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 wicked. Yeah, so this guy, 100 years old, recovers, and yet Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders both had to cancel rallies in Ohio last night. Whack. At least two. Grand Princess cruise ship passengers are now suing the company for negligence. They're seeking more than $1 million in damages and filed the suit before they even got off the ship. Whack. Now, I don't know who the whack actually applies to. I don't know if it's going to the people who are suing the Grand Princess cruises over this fact because I don't know if there's enough they could have done, but I'm sure there is more they could have done. But I also think it's a little bit whack that uh, Grand Princess cruises is trying to continue to allow people on board. Both situations are whack. Uh, of course, it's the suing culture that comes with being uh, in the United States. And so, uh, yeah, let's just play that one more time. Whack. All right. And false rumors are also circulating around online that apparently you can cure yourself of the coronavirus by drinking bleach or by doing a bunch of cocaine. Yeah, that seems like something that would work, right? I mean, even France has had to issue a warning that doing coke will not rid you of the virus. Anyone who thought that that was a thing... Well, you're an idiot, and uh, I think it was probably just an excuse to do some cocaine. So um, maybe you're an idiot, or maybe you're just a genius, I guess, if you're a coke addict. I don't know. Whack. But yeah, that drop totally applies to both scenarios in that last comment. And to end things off, a monthly non-sexual cuddle party in San Francisco had to be postponed this week. Thank goodness, because, uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about ways you can go about altering a handshake greeting. I don't know how you can go about altering your cuddle plans, but there are still some true pros that are at it. A famous naughty club, I'll use that to uh, censor things here, is still planning to hold an Eyes Wide Shut style party in Los Angeles later this week. And that my friends, well, that is pretty wet. I guess you could also say it's pretty dumb. I think that's another word for it as well. This has been your coronavirus edition of That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. And don't forget again as well, the World Health Organization has declared COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic. So well, keep your radios locked to Radio NL today for more on that. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed your time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.